Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose podcast, the Bauer and Rose show right here on justthenews.com, wherever you get your podcasts. In addition, we are broadcast on our good friends, Sirius XM satellite radio channel 125, The Patriot on Sunday mornings. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts. Gary, um, a bunch to talk about. There's, There's a lot to talk about. We're not typically an economics show. But I wanted to walk through the SVB situation for those of our listeners that are interested. Let me walk through this. And when I screw up, you interrupt. How's that? That's pretty much the way we work okay, all the let time. Me just say right now, Tom, that uh, <laughs> you've already screwed up because um, economics may be at the top of the list of the things that. Uh, we don't know anything about. No, no. We, we both have very strong and, in some ways, uh, traditional views on economics. Although, again, this is an area uh, where I have trended more and more in a populist direction, at least on economic messaging. Right. Because I think we have played. You know, when you nominate a guy like Mitt Romney to be president who worked for a firm that specialized in buying up U.S. manufacturing entities, uh, you know, shutting them down, you know, firing people, shutting them down, and then having the company ship them off to China. That's how he made his money. There was that famous or infamous ad in Ohio that ran about an Ohio company that his firm did that to. So that by time Mitt Romney got the formally got the nomination to be the Republican presidential nominee, he was already like 10 points down in Ohio and was never, ever, ever had a chance of winning that state that, you know, Donald Trump won handily two times in a row. OK, let's get back to Silicon Valley Bank. But good point. What's that? What's that? <laughs> Silicon Valley Bank, a okay. big a big bank headquartered out west with uh, branches all over. They lent they were a bank designed to facilitate the banking needs of, of tech startups and big companies. They took in depositors' money like any other bank would do. They took in so much, in fact, that they had more money in their till than they were able to lend out. So what they did was, like a lot of banks, they bought what they thought were so-called secure uh, instruments to protect their depositors' money, and those turned out to be treasury bonds or treasury notes that returned very little interest but protected the capital base. Then when when interest rates rose, the values of those bonds tanked, 
And when depositors started to withdraw their money, the bank had to sell its treasury notes at a steep discount in order to meet its obligations. At that point, panic set in. And what happened? Uh, you, you, you know this better than I do. That's why I'm asking. That's where my uh, understanding of the situation kind of breaks down. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, then, okay, a couple of comments on, on this, Tom. Th- those are uh, relatively secure instruments. They're backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. And, and uh, for what that's worth, uh, it's like saying backed by the full faith and credit of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Oh, wow, <laughs> talking about risky assets. Um, but, and as you know, Tom, uh, the the thing that makes them relatively safe is you are guaranteed to be paid back at the end of the length of the maturity of the bond or the note, the full amount that you put in, having collected an interest rate, however modest, during the time that you held the note. So in that sense, um, it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily on its own, a bad move, except that they, they apparently didn't account for the fact that we were entering a period where the Federal Reserve made it absolutely clear they were going to be raising interest rates, which would necessarily drive down the, temporarily the value of those bonds. And uh, the fact that, that they didn't understand that or they never made any accommodations for it, is is breathtaking to me. Tom, they're not the only one, unfortunately. As you can see, any of our uh, listeners that ha- have got any regional banks or even Charles Schwab will notice that they've been dropping like a rock uh, in recent days. Apparently, there, there may be as much as uh, uh, a trillion dollars or more in unrealized losses if you mark the bonds to market, that is, if you take the bond on the balance sheet, which you might have bought for $10,000, and you mark it down to what you could get for it today, which might be $8,500, you have theoretically got a $1,500 loss. And when the bank was required by regulations to say publicly uh, we are sitting on a number of unre- unre- uh, unrecognized losses. However, we don't need to recognize them, so it's not a big problem. People heard that, and then it was a um, it was a it's a wonderful life moment in an America that no longer has the population that was evident in the movie of It's a Wonderful Life, where a local man. Jimmy Stewart was able to convince his friends and neighbors that it was a mistake for them and and bad for their neighbors to demand all of their money out of their accounts, that if they would only demand enough to get by for the next couple of weeks, everybody would get what they needed. And the savings and loan that he worked at would uh, would survive this this crisis. Uh, Tom, I mean, to me, that's the big story here. It's I'm not surprised we have financial crises and, and economic crises and periodic runs on the bank. I mean, this is the, the normal ups and downs of, um, of economics and of free markets. What, what's concerning to me is how much it displays, it shows 
the moral deficit, the virtue deficit that we're running, where the president of the bank was selling stock by the millions of dollars as he was watching his own balance sheet and knowing the bank was headed to a cliff, where the people running the bank hurried up and gave their employees significant bonuses. In the cases of managers, they got $145,000 each in bonuses, which is about the annual income of, let's say, three uh, two-earner families in, oh, where? How about this? Palestine, Ohio. Um, So once again, I think what it does is it adds to this growing perception in America that nobody gives a you-know-what about the average guy. He will get screwed over and over again. But when you got a bunch of wake woke bankers in San Francisco who spent all their time funding projects trying to stop the, uh, you know, the warming of the globe and whose big claim to fame was all they did for LGBTQ rights and the quotas they had for employees and on their website, how they bragged that their health insurance was so comprehensive, it would even pay for sex change operations for anybody that wanted to work there. All of which I think was of no interest to the people who lined up for blocks wanting to get their money. Nobody in that line said, I want to get my money. But before I do, can you assure me that you hit your LGBTQ quota this month? Well, I mean, now we've got the president insisting as he announces a bailout that it's not a bailout. It's a Ah. look, it's a for years, SVB and all of its cronies in Silicon Valley lobbied successfully for looser risk limits by arguing that If those banks were to fail, it wouldn't be a systemic risk because they're small regional banks. They wouldn't need any special intervention by the U.S. government. Yet now the very same people who argued for looser limits on bank regulation um, claim that saving SVB was critical because it was systemically important. Um, and also, the notion that there's no taxpayer monies involved here is nonsense. Because is it not? Because everyday customers are going to have to shoulder the burden of the bailout through higher charges as they top up the FDIC's depleted uh, balance sheet. The FDIC being the the institution that guarantees depositors up to $250,000 if a bank goes bust and you got 196,000 in a bank the government guarantees that money up to 250 but if all these banks fail the FDIC is going to run out of money so that's going to mean they have to top up uh, their charges to banks I-, I just see this as yet another example of People with political connections, and I think 94, 95% of the depositors and, and, and or investors into Silicon Valley Bank were Democrat donors, that they're the ones who get covered, they're the ones who get carried, while East Palestine, Ohio does not. No, it's a, it's a great analysis, Tom. And, uh, you know, in addition, nobody should be mistaken about this. What's happening right now is that the Biden administration in response to this crisis is printing more money. And every time they print more money, I know it's hard to understand for people that didn't you know, major in economics, the value of the money you have goes down through inflation. 
So, like, you know, if you if you own a one of a kind coin, uh, it's going to be very rare and it's going to be worth a lot. But if somebody makes exact duplicates of that coin, 50 of them, the value of the one that you have has suddenly declined dramatically. So, um, you know, Biden just put up a budget that raises taxes by five trillion dollars. Uh, and he does, does this in the name of we've got to get our deficits under control. But the budget he proposes will increase the size of the American debt by $20 trillion over the next decade, even after the $5 trillion tax hike. So he, the United States government will have to print another you know, $20 trillion in fake money lowering the value of everybody else's money. Tom, we're on a road to the most incredible crack up that the world has ever seen. I don't know when it's going to happen. And we haven't even gotten into something that the economists call moral hazard, which is that by now saying that everybody's deposits, not just deposits up deposits in this bank up to 250000 but everybody's deposit, even if it was uh, $10 million, is going to be made whole. You have basically told people, well, there's only two possibilities, that only the favorite left-wing depositors at this bank are going to be make, made whole, even if their deposits were over two hundred and fifty, Or you're going to have to say, Every bank in America is now insured for whatever the size of your deposit is, at which point why that's would that, and anybody – But that's what happened yesterday, is it not? Am I wrong? Well, it, they haven't – I don't think they've – Well, they haven't announced it, but – it's. It, I don't see how they can get around it. Of course. I mean they basically right. did that to three banks, Signature Bank, uh, SVB, and the one that failed – the crypto bank that failed last Friday. Yeah. So the So the result of that is – you know what? Why would you uh, avoid risk if you know that even if you risk twenty million dollars in some important bank, the federal government's going to come waltzing in there? You know, did Joe Biden walking as fast as those spindly little legs will take him, and uh, go here, 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 here? Have some more, have some more. I mean, it's it's disgusting, Tom, and we. We've been on this road of um, of destroying uh, or creating moral hazard for decades now. Each cycle, this happens. The the, the next crash gets worse. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I don't see how the Federal Reserve can stop raising interest rates once they cause the inflation by having interest rates effectively at zero uh, and, and caused all these dislocations. Now they're going to have to keep raising them. And I think this is just the beginning of things that will be broken, institutions that will get broken uh, by this massive, rapid, historically the quickest rise in rates uh, in the history of the country from where they began to where they are now. There's an elephant in the room, and I was goofing around earlier this morning trying to get some numbers the president released his budget request, which obviously is Republicans say dead on arrival, which doesn't really mean much because what he's asking for is is seven trillion dollars in federal spending, six point nine two trillion in federal spending. And this was some of the, the uh, quick uh, research I did. Thanks to our good friends at WeChat. 
In the year 2000, fiscal year 2000, when the Republican presidential nomination was between George W. Bush and Gary Bauer, the federal budget for the United States of America in Bill Clinton's last year in office, not that long ago, was $1.2 trillion. Today, the president, 23 years later, is proposing a budget seven times greater than the one I'm presuming you ran against in the year 2000. If you look at income that the federal government takes in from all sources of revenue, including taxes and everything else, in the year 2000, the federal government took in a total of $2 trillion. That's a $200 billion surplus, $2 trillion. Last year, that it would be 2021 because 2022 is not those numbers aren't out yet. The federal government took in almost $4 trillion in receipts. So taxes have doubled on the American people in the last 23 years, and the spending has increased 700%. Isn't that really the source of what we're talking about here? It, it is, Tom. Uh, it, my, my only, the only thing I would add is that I think the very smart listeners to the Bauer and Rose podcast understand what we're talking about and what what we're saying, uh, but the the average guy doesn't, and so we've got to get our economic message to in a way that can be explained. Uh, easily. See, I average think the average guy. guy does get it. I mean, federal spending is up seven hundred percent. Yeah, but but see, here's what here's what an average person hears, Tom. Uh, and this is why I think even when there are Democrat presidents and they preside on over bad economies, they get reelected. Why? How is that possible? That's what Barack Obama did. He got reelected. Did Joe Biden's party? Picked up seats in the Senate just last November. He's at 50-50 chance of winning re-election. Why is that? Because when people hear Republicans talking about we're spending too much, the next thing they hear is Joe Biden and the media saying, aha, they're going to cut your Social Security. They're going to cut your Medicaid. They're not going to have food stamps for you there if you lose your job. They're going to take away your unemployment insurance. They're not going to be there when you get into trouble. They're going to kick you out of your house. They're going to make you pay all those uh, student loans back. People vote in their own self-interest. And you, you, if you say people, if you stop people on the street now and say, you know, a lot of people have bought into this idea, Tom, you you don't oh you just print it. I mean, why is that a problem? They don't understand why that's a problem. For something like forty some percent of the American people uh, aren't paying any federal income tax at all. Now they're paying very high Social Security taxes, Medicare tax, a, all kinds of fees. Sure, tax, of course, right? absolutely. But, but talks about you know to us talking about we got to get the federal income tax down. A lot of people are sitting there going, oh, I don't know. I think you need to raise it more on those wealthy guys. Right, but uh, uh, extracting politics for a moment, which I know is difficult for you to do. 
No, it's difficult for us to do because we're living in a country whose future is going to be decided by politics. No, I, I, I get that. But it's unsustainable. I mean, I don't have an answer. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have an answer because I don't. Uh, but there's it's it's unprecedented. No civilized country's ever experienced anything like this. Taxes have doubled, which means that since now 50 percent of the country or more pay no federal income tax, those at the top are paying more and more, and maybe that's fine. I, yeah, I have no uh, objection to a progressive income tax. But when spending – and now, like this year, we're going to spend $700 billion on interest. In two or three years, we're going to be spending more on interest than we are on defense. I, I, it can't go on. I mean, even you would uh, oh, no, agree ab- to ab- that. Absolutely, but it won't get solved by them. It will only be solved by the imperfect Republican Party. And what I'm saying is, Tom, for us to be the party that gets to solve it, we've got to come up with a better way to talk about it Mm -hmm. than the way we are now. Because this continues to bedevil us, Tom. If you ask the question, the simple question, who cares more about people like you? Democrats or Republicans, I believe, I haven't looked lately, but for the last 30 years, for good times and bad times, the average American says Democrat. That's a problem because that's how people vote. They vote on who cares most about them. And I think we got a lot of people that walk around you know, sounding like they want to be your accountant, not your leader. So what is, the, what, what is the answer to this? We are headed – I mean, even the New York Times, to which I must confess I am a renewed subscriber to. I know that drives Bauer crazy. But um, in the last two weeks, pretty much every single day, their front page has a story about fiscal inevitability. So now that we have the New York Times, quote-unquote, on side, what's the answer? What happens? Are we inexorably led to a, a cliff? Uh I mean, I don't, again, I'm not sitting here with a, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a, a Republican consultant and I don't, nor am I any kind of a fiscal or financial expert. If you want to lose money, talk to me. But if you want to, you know, make money, uh, I refer you to somebody else. What, what's the answer here? It can't go on, can it? Well, well uh, uh, okay, so this gets, you know, we can get really deep in the woods, but I, and I don't want to do that, but... Um, the, the, the big tax decrease, uh, the tax reform decrease in the, in the Trump-Pence administration, um, it could have been a populist uh, tax package. You're it right. was not. You're right. It wasn't. It started out to be Trump, I think, wanted it to be. We caved to and, Paul Ryan. That's absolutely and, right. Yeah, Paul Ryan and my good friend Grover Norquist and, uh, uh, you know, uh, Cudlow, uh, another good friend, good guy, really like him. But but they they think like guys that are comfortable on Wall Street. And instead of doing things like um, uh, a social a social security tax holiday, um, increasing the child tax credit to help struggling working class families, we let the Democrats take that issue. They're the ones that are in favor of increasing tax credits for children. Tom, I remember when Reagan uh, did more of a populist tax reform 
uh, by massively increasing uh, the, the, the credits for, for children uh, that you were raising, uh, ending the marriage or you know, strongly decreasing the marriage penalty and doing a bunch of those sorts of things. The Wall Street Journal attacked the Reagan tax package, uh, which was, in my view, clear evidence that it was exactly the right way to go. As I think I said on our previous show, Tom, maybe I didn't, but I, I'm absolutely convinced only a populist candidate will win the presidency uh, next November. It will either be a left-wing pos- a populist like uh, like Biden, or it will be a right-wing populist. You fill in the blank. I know we're all divided about this, but I do not believe somebody running on the traditional Republican economic package, which always comes across as we're really worried about that tax on billionaires, who, I must remind you, 99% of whom vote for the Democrats. So if those billionaires are that happy with the Democrats, I'd introduce a bill raising taxes on billionaires. <laughs> we got to take a break. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast right here on JustTheNews.com and Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back, everybody. Gary Bauer and Tom Rose with you. Our uh, bi-weekly, no, bi-weekly is once every two weeks, correct? We're twice weekly, and we've got a show on Sundays here on Sirius XM. Um, Gary, uh, at the end of his um, unsolicited monologue, referenced politics 2024. Uh, again, there's another elephant in our room, and that is the Republican presidential nomination, the process for 2024. I'll just go ahead and ask it. Um, is is Mike Pence playing this wisely or not wisely? Uh, he had a great appearance at the Gridiron Dinner, which is an annual comic uh, event hosted by the White House Correspondents Association. All the proceeds are for charity. Of course, I don't know what charity that would be. Um, maybe Occupy Wall Street or new tents for homeless people in uh, Portland, Oregon. But um, uh, the former vice president, our dear friend, uh, your friend, my very close friend, um, went after Trump in a way that he hasn't uh, ever. And I got to be honest, uh, and he's a very dear friend. I'm, I'm wondering what the approach is here. Any thoughts? Well, way to set me up there, Tom. Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> Did I tell you Mike's in the room here with me? No, no, no. He'll listen. He listens. He listens. No, no. Well, look, I, 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 I'm going to resist the temptation to go too far down this road. Uh, I expect, you know, um, it's, it's going to be an uh, animated battle for the nomination. Um, I'm hoping that um, I, I expect all the candidates to argue over policy. Uh, in a way that average Americans can understand. But I would, I would beg them all 
uh, to resist the temptation to form circular firing squads in which when they're finished, everybody's dead and America is uh, condemned to another four years uh, of what I can I, it, it another four years of disastrous disastrous foreign policy, economic policy, family policy, moral policy. The country is being destroyed. It's being deconstructed in front of our eyes. Um, We can't take it much longer. And so I just my to me, the the best way all these guys and ladies can prove they're going to put America first is to stop savaging uh, their fellows, who um, one of whom is going to end up being the imperfect candidate that will uh, run against uh, Joe Biden. Who's that going to be? Well, I mean, y- y- you know, if you... That's if why you, you're I, paid the big bucks here, Bauer. <laughs> yeah, well, and then I should just remain silent, <laughs> waiting for the big bucks. Um I mean, if you if you were a betting man and and things remain static as they are today, it it's Donald Trump. Now, I've, I've said this a lot of times, Tom, and it's and we've already it's already been proven to be true by events of just the last six months. Whoever is whoever gets the nomination and whoever wins the presidency will probably be determined by headlines that we have not yet read. I mean, there's so many things that are happening already, and it's in the light of those things that we have these kinds of discussion. But it's the the unknown things that we can't possibly know that probably will determine the outcome. And and I would put it in a category, health developments by certain people, a foreign crisis that we cannot predict, another economic uh, event that we cannot predict. Uh, early signs already that we may go into another summer of 2020 as we get closer to 2024, whether it's the attack on the police training center in Atlanta, the attack on a conservative judge at Stanford University, an attack on Steve Forbes and a couple of conservative authors at a book party in Manhattan just a few days ago. We see already the signs that, and, and again, this is bizarre, Tom, if you think about it, you would think if left-wing violence is increasing, that that would rebound to our favor. But apparently it does the exact opposite. It sends a subliminal message to the population that if conservatives get back in power, this is what the left's going to do. We're on the way to civil war. And so people vote even if they don't like the people they're voting for, because they just don't want to think the possibility that America's headed for a breakup. It's, it is extraordinary. A couple of uh, overseas developments that impact us here at home. The new great rising power, China, facilitates a diplomatic breakthrough. By the way, I'm not buying the media uh, spin on the so-called um, – reconciliation between Iran and Saudi Arabia. They are mortal enemies. What I do think, and I'm curious to get your feedback on it, this was a way for the Saudis to indicate or demonstrate two things. Number one, they no longer trust the United States, particularly in the guise of of, uh, Joe Biden, uh, to be the the, uh, preeminent 
power, the stabilizing force in the Middle East. And secondly, they wanted to buy time vis-a-vis Iran because they have no idea where our policy is headed toward Iran. And it seems to me in reading some of the... um, the, the, the postscripts about this, that this deal was sought by Iran much more than by the Saudis. And some of the uh, principal concessions that Iran made demonstrated that the sanctions to the effect that we're still enforcing them are having an impact and are biting. But I think this is just another demonstration of uh, the disasters you were referencing, the collapse of American leadership, not just at home, but that it has global implications. We're a global power, and we're, when, when we're unable to meet our commitments or live up to the expectations our allies and our opponents, our enemies, uh, have for or against us, that the implications are global. Well, no, I, I agree completely with your analysis, Tom, that seeing those headlines that, that appeared to come out of nowhere – I have to admit, I wasn't even aware that the negotiations were going on. But uh, the fact that that communist China brokered those negotiations and came up with what looked like a diplomatic victory, those headlines I found to be uh, very demoralizing and disheartening. Um, You you know, uh, I I always go back to to values because that's been my bailiwick. Uh, You you know, when we took... um, uh, well, in fact, the liberal mayor of New York said this the other day. He said when we took uh, a prayer and Bibles out of the public school, guns and a whole bunch of other bad things came in. And, and he's absolutely right. You know, any vacuum is filled by something. Right. So as America under Biden, Harris withdraws America's prestige and because and, and withdraws our credibility, we become less and less predictable, and so fewer and fewer countries want to rest uh, their future on our assurances. Somebody will fill that void, and communist China is quite willing and, and able to do it. And I, you know, th- this is where I think we, you know, I'm an American firster, but that means sometimes we've got to be. Um, We've we've got to have credibility abroad that, you know, when our when our vital interests are at stake, we we will be there. Uh, Otherwise, the world is going to be a very unpleasant place for free people. Uh, Again, this is me and my my hobby horse. Last week, as Silicon Valley Bank is imploding, uh, we had two developments vis-a-vis our friends in Israel that I wonder – might have had some impact on hastening this reconciliation, quote-unquote, between Iran and Saudi Arabia, although I don't... They're geopolitical rivals, and I don't think a restoration of diplomatic relations necessarily uh, undermines the inherent uh, uh, hostility of that relationship. Our can, second, I, can I just make one comment? Tom? Certainly. It, this, this also has negative consequences for the oil market, right? If the Saudis and Iran are, have na- diplomatic relations, they're going to be talking more about uh, oil and how, when they supply it and when they don't. And so it increases the chances that the United States under Biden, which has declared, you know, has been causing all kinds of problems with our, with our domestic oil industry. It makes us more vulnerable in the future that we can be blackmailed by, uh, you know, OPEC, OPEC and, and, their, and the hanger-ons of OPEC. Oh, absolutely, 100%. But you had the – our defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, was in Israel last week. He's the defense secretary, and he holds a press conference – 
uh, opining on the judicial reform process inside Israel. Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, who was here in Washington, uh, gave uh, a speech as well on Israeli judicial reform. Now, you know, what's interesting to me is, and they all talk about defensive democracy, defensive democracy. It's somehow, in this instance, defined as a way to attack a democratically elected government and demanding that it, namely the democratically elected government, bow to its vision of how an unelected judicial oligarchy uh, that claims unchecked power should be protected. And I'm wondering if that very clear demonstration of distance between the United States and Israel made the Saudis scratch their head and say, you know what, maybe that alliance isn't as close as we thought it was. Maybe they're not as uh, in sync as we need to be in order to present a united front against Iran, and maybe we ought to cut our best deal. I I wouldn't be surprised at all, Tom, if that was exactly what happened. By the way, this is such an overt interference in the internal politics of the nation of Israel. It makes... uh, what was called Russian collusion in 2016, which never really was what anybody claimed it to be, uh, other than that uh, uh, Putin, uh, Putin's people bought some ads on social media that attacked both Republicans and Democrats and tried to roil uh, the American political debate, makes it look like a Sunday school picnic. I mean, we are directly putting ourselves in the middle of Israeli politics. And by the way, at the same time, it's come out that through the State Department, just like they did in the in the Obama-Biden administration, at the State Department is funding uh, political enemies of Netanyahu's government in the nation of Israel. It's disgusting. We, sh- we shouldn't, you know, it's it's one thing to try to influence what's going on in Iran by reminding the Iranian people that, you know, they have a right to be free. But this kind of interference, we're doing the same sort of thing, Tom, with Hungary, where we're trying to undermine a populist leader there that won't buy into open borders and a lot of other things. We've put pressure on Poland Uh, You know, Ukraine recently, their legislature recently passed an LGBTQ uh, bill. I can't imagine that was something that the Ukrainian government got up in the morning and thought that would be a really great thing to do in the middle of a war. I suspect it's the Biden administration leaning on them. Uh, This is what this is what America's come to stand for around the world. Uh, Unpredictable. Uh, harder on our friends than we are on our enemies. Um, we've taken the idea of um, universal liberal values, which used to be a small L, and it meant the consent of the government, uh, checks and balances, free and fair elections. Now it means LGBTQ flags on gay pride parades, abortion on demand, uh, you know, transgenderism, all the rest. This is what's now being defined as what America stands for around the world. And every day and every year that goes by with that being what America stands for, 
you watch. It will drive more and more countries in Latin America and in Africa and in uh, in the Middle East into the arms of uh, Russia and communist China. It's already happened. You mentioned Africa last week. Uh, in Uganda, the, the parliament, the democratically elected parliament, adopted very, very tough, in my opinion, far too tough uh, measures against homosexuality, the death penalty. Why? Because the U.S. embassy in Uganda for years has been pushing this aggressively, not during the Trump administration, but the last two and a half years, and also during the Biden administration, flying the LGBT flag on Uganda's national uh, day, the Independence Day. It's just in their face, and you're going to get a reaction, and it's going to be a negative one. Yeah. You know, Tom, it's really humorous to me. You, if you if you read the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, most major newspapers, listen to most commentary on TV, etc., you hear a lot of talk about Christian nationalism. This is the biggest threat facing America, that uh, people that uh, uh, believe in the Bible and also are uh, super patriots. You know, those two things, which, you know, describes about 99 percent of the country up until about, you know, four weeks ago. Uh, So that that's the biggest threat. But, Tom, you you know, is there ever a time when a Christian flag goes up the flagpole (laughs) at an American? Somebody be arrested. Did did I miss, you know, uh, uh, Jewish Pride Month or Christian Pride Month uh, in the United States Uh, is is I mean, by every measurement. Believing Christians and Jews have less influence in America today than ever in our history. And radical movements of all sorts uh, can can destroy your career, can cancel you on social media, can intimidate a business to worship at their altar uh, in ways that as a Christian and as a Jew, uh, we can only envy, Tom. We can never actually imagine it happening Uh, for people like us. Well, we're out of time, but that's uh, unfortunately well said, tragically well said. Thank you very much for listening. We know you've got other uh, things that that pull upon your time and that you've given us uh, time today um, is a a tribute to us, and we're grateful and thankful, and we will talk to you in a couple of days. Have a great one, Gary. You too, Tom. 